I'm calling! Hey, this is Kevin from Transmission. It's midnight somewhere. And you're listening to Mistress McCutcheon and the Wasteland. Don't forget to keep a little mark on your heart. just listened to Metal Guru from the T-Rex album Slider. This is Mistress McCutcheon, who is still in the safety of her own home with a very severe case of FOGO. I am accompanied by the Wasteland, who is in the safety of his own home. But I go out pretty often. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I'm back at work, so I don't have a choice. Uh, yeah. So if if, uh, if you didn't catch on today, we're gonna be doing we're gonna be doing something a little different. We're gonna be talking about the roots of uh, our scene and influencers that brought. Without we wouldn't be here. Yeah, it's a know your music history kind of episode tonight. And tonight we're delving into glam rock and we're talking about T Rex and Mark Bolin. Mark Bolin is arguably the pioneer of glam rock, and without Mark Bolin, we wouldn't have Bowie. Without Bowie, we wouldn't have Bauhaus. 
So we thought this was a pretty important one to to touch on. And uh, in listening to Metal Guru in the opening of this episode, you can absolutely hear hints of the Smiths. Because if you go back and take a listen to Panic by the Smiths, you can absolutely hear that influence. I read an interview with Johnny Marr where he said he, the first the first album he ever bought for himself with his own money was T-Rex. So without Mark Boland, we don't have the Smiths either. Now, these days, that's a mixed bag because that brought us Morrissey. Let's ignore that. We wouldn't have Johnny Marr without Mark Boland. And Johnny Marr just as... He's one of my favorite guitarists for a reason. Every every project that he has been added to is is magic with Johnny Marr. And yeah, Ride a White Swan was that first album that he bought. So it was absolutely an influence into the Smiths. Glam rock really began in the early 70s coming from Mark Boland. It is uniquely a British invention. With glam rock, it is certainly an English lens that ties into goth because if you take a look at glam rock through an American lens, uh, it ends up rooting itself into hair metal and glam metal and more of that ilk. And that doesn't really happen until about the early to mid 80s. And where Mark Boland sits. Yeah, yeah. And, and where, where Mark Boland sits is much earlier in the early 70s, although he began with an acoustic guitar and 1960s psychedelia and was very much part of the hippie sort of flower children thing until he got an electric guitar and stood up and started playing. Yeah, he was, he was a folk artist. And that, that kind of really ties together how um, intrinsic a lot of music is. Uh, you know, he's he's the first guy who gets on stage and becomes a showman in a different way. You know, you, you, there was a lot of people that were playing with being becoming showmen in bands in, in the 70s. And Boland definitely got up there and, you know, he was a spectacle. He was a sight to behold. He had all the attention in the house on him and he knew it. And he ran with that. And you got to respect that um, because without him, you you're not going to have a lot of the a lot of the spectacle rock acts that you would get later on that that aren't necessarily shock rock. Like, he, he's totally different from Alice Cooper. He's not lighting things on fire or biting heads off or executing himself on stage. Right, right. But it was more about, it, it, it was, I mean, it was, it was glam. It was more about having glitter on your face and being very flamboyant and wearing all sorts of really colorful clothing and boas and leopard print. So it had a totally different aesthetic with it, uh, along with this sound that developed. Yeah, and it was kind of unique to what was coming out of that that time period in in England. Absolutely. You no, know, he he started that, and you don't you don't get Bowie's best stuff without Bowling. Yeah. And if you take a look into the uh, timelines and you can see where Bolin and Bowie kind of came together and there are moments where they've worked together and uh, towards the end of Mark Bolin's life where you see David Bowie on uh, his show because he at, at a point in his career had hosted a variety show. And what I think was really interesting is that Mark Bolin really embraced the punk rock movement. And had guests like Generation X and the Boomtown Rats on his show. And the fact that The Damned opened for T-Rex in March of 1977. 
And he got Generation X when they were young, because I think it was uh, Billy Idol was saying something to the effect of uh, they had just barely broken the bar scene when all of a sudden they were like, come on TV. And he was like, uh, okay, I could barely get my head around the fact that bars want me. Now I'm going to be on TV. Okay. Right, right. So, you know, uh, he definitely had, as an artist, he, he put down a lot of roots for a lot of things that would come. Um, and it's just, he's a very important artist that I think a lot of people overlook for the one or two songs that get played on the radio to this day. And they forget the catalog. Yeah. But again, it was a different effect uh, because when you think glam rock in in North America, you think Bowie, but you forget yeah. about Mark Boland because Mark Boland didn't have the same uh, impact in America that he did in in the UK. He actually, by all account, by by the way I took it when when I did, you know, watch the documentary, his his big first big tour in the U.S. kind of failed. Yeah. So, and I hate to say that. Because he was far from a failure as an artist, but it was just breaking the U.S. is hard when you're from England, I think, any or anywhere in Europe, and especially in that time period before the Internet. I mean, even nowadays, for a new artist to get over here, it's hard. It's it's not exactly easy to come to North America and just play. Yeah, I mean, even really before the Internet became super mainstream, there's there was such a time gap between when things came over from Europe or from England to North America. And it would take some time to, you know, get a foot in the American market. And even with the internet now, you're right, it's still the same story where it's difficult for uh, an English artist to get into the U.S. and and to really gain some traction. But culturally, it's very nuanced. And there are certain tastes and certain things that an American audience will gravitate to over uh, a European artist audience or a uh, or a British audience. Even there's all these little nuances in culture. But again, without Bolin, you don't have any of this other stuff that came after. Or it would be very different these days. Yeah, I mean, imagine a world without Johnny Marr, David Bowie, um, the Smiths, Bauhaus. Bauhaus. We wouldn't be here talking today. Yeah, yeah. Likely. I mean, who knows? But likely, <laughs> the, the odds sound, go down for sure. The sound would be very, very different. But again, knowing these seeds of where they where they came from, it just it all falls into place, and it makes so much sense. One of the recommendations I wanted to make in talking about how then glam and his openness to uh, punk was there's actually a great video that's available on YouTube. I'll have to put the link in the show notes of like the last night of the tour with the damned and T-Rex and they do a version of get it on. And there's a really significant drum solo going by rat scabies, but, and, and the, the song actually goes on for quite a bit, but it's pretty cool to see those two, uh, major seeds, major pioneers together. Because then again, The Damned being a punk band, although they've got very goth leanings, they're still considered a punk band. I wouldn't call The Damned goth, but they're very much goth adjacent based on some of the lyrical content and some of the work that's been done with Phantasmagoria or the Strawberries album and with Dave Vanian's aesthetic as well. But it's pretty cool to see, again, Mark Bolin with Dave Vanian right there. And uh, that video is available up on YouTube. Yeah, and you could even say that uh, Vanian, um, his aesthetic, if if his aesthetic borrows heavily from what Bolin was doing at the time. You know, he, he it kind of gave him the 
the push or maybe the confidence to get up there and do it. Because for the 70s to go up there, like, you know, he would come out and he didn't look like he was in a punk band. Yeah. A lot of the time. (laughs) Sometimes it just takes somebody who's going to give you that permission. Yeah. That permission that boys can wear makeup and boys can dress in colorful flamboyant clothing or can dress as vampires or, as you see, Dave Vaney in a lot of early stuff, uh, very pasty pale, all black, all that sort of stuff. Sometimes you just need that one point to give you that that ability to go forward and, and do something that you want to be doing and be yourself. Yep. Yeah. And I think Bolin kind of, you know, that's probably what gravity brought them together for that tour. Yeah. Like he's, he saw a younger version of himself trying to get somewhere. It was like, yeah, I'm taking them out. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the, the reach into the eighties with yes. other bands, which is where, where we have a, a couple of songs lined up. Yeah. So in the middle of the show. Absolutely. So, cause we can talk about the influences. We can go on about, okay, well there's this connection and this connection and this connection in the musical family tree to bring up the songs. We look to the eighties. And again, no Bolin, no Bowie, no Bowie, no Bauhaus. And Bauhaus, as part of the holy trinity of goth, they inherited a lot from glam and added drama to punk, which is why they're very much part of, okay, you want to define what the roots of goth music is. That's your starting point. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody recognizes that Bauhaus covered Bowie and did a really brilliant cover of Ziggy Stardust, but Bauhaus also covered Telegram Sam, which appears on In the Flat Field. Although when it was also originally released as a 7-inch and as a 12-inch, it appears with Crowds and Rose Garden Funeral of Sores, which is also a cover uh, by John Cale. So, and it's funny because at one point uh, I remember having uh, having a patio gathering and chatting with folks and my BFF Derek talking about music and probably overtaking the conversation because you put a couple of loud New Yorkers in a in a space and forget it. You're, nobody else is going to get a word in because we're obnoxious. <laughs> but um, we were talking about music, and I think I had been going through a, a, a bit of a T-Rex phase listening to Electric Warrior that weekend, and uh, Derek at one point I think had said, I think when Mark Boland died, his spirit leapt and jumped into Daniel Ash, and I just went, that's pretty hot actually. But I can see it. And again, <laughs> Daniel Ash playing guitar and and everything that's going on in Bauhaus uh, their cover of Telegram Sam brings something different to the cover. It's, but it's also just bringing a really good song up in front in the center. So we want to play that for you. And the other track we would like to play for you, which is a T-Rex cover, is a cover of Get It On that was done by Power Station. Now, what's funny about Power Station is... This We're talking about the mid-80s here. Duran Duran was on hiatus in 1985, and two side projects evolved out of that hiatus. There was Arcadia, which was Simon LeBon and Nick Rhodes, and then there was Power Station with John Taylor and Andy Taylor, fronted by Robert Palmer. Yeah, and at the point, Duran Duran was kind of the biggest band in the world, and Robert Palmer had a pretty, I would say, prolific career in in England, but... I don't think he was, had a whole lot of exposure in the States yet. 
So it kind of breaks him in in the States in a way. Yeah, because then by the time he became really known in the States, he became very recognizable. And the videos that he did for his songs like Simply Irresistible and for Addicted to Love. And he also did a cover, uh, I Didn't Mean to Turn You On. All these solo bits would then kind of solidify him as far as like, oh, yeah, Robert Palmer, the addicted to love guy with the girls in the background with the slick back hair and the black dresses and the red lips. So but Robert Palmer fronted Power Station and they also did uh, they covered T-Rex. They did get it on. So we're going to play those two tracks for you. So we'll kick off with Bauhaus with Telegram Sam, followed by Power Station's version of Get It On, Bang A Gong. Telegram Sam, you got my main man. Golden old Slim, I know, I know where you've been. His lips are not like the ghost mouth in the heat Telegram sound, you're my main man Telegram sound, you're my main man mm, I said Bob is alright But he's a natural bomb poet, he's just out of sight Oh, 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 
hearing direct influences another band i want to bring up uh specifically would be the arco valley album from sex gang children if you don't hear mark boland's delivery when you hear andy sex gang sing then you need to like stop this podcast right now listen to planet queen off of electric warrior and then come back and listen to this next song that i want to play for you off of the Arco Valley album, I want to play Seven Ways to Kill a Man, which is very much in the same vein of glam rock. You can hear T-Rex through this album. This whole album is definitely a glam album. And what's also really cool about this is that Andy Sexgang was working with Mick Ronson, who had recorded with Bowie. So the influence just runs really, really deeply here. And here's seven ways to kill a man.
you hear a lot of a lot of his style of playing and his style of vocalizations in a lot of different artists. And, and going through uh, another one would be Love and Rockets. Absolutely. Again, Daniel Ash, uh, that guitar playing and who was strongly influenced by by glam. Uh, I think somewhere in an interview, I may have seen that at one point, like Love and Rockets basically wanted to be like Pink Floyd. You can hear a lot of psychedelic influence in Love and Rockets because it's funny with Love and Rockets, they made their big break in the U.S. and they were more popular in the U.S. than they were in England. And again, it's that cultural nuance and, and taste. And they hit it really big in 1989 with So Alive off of their self-titled album. I just remember that video being like on heavy rotation on MTV and then later on VH1. You couldn't get away from it. It was so alive everywhere that when that came out. And then they followed it up with uh, Hot Trip to Heaven, which is a super spacey, more psychedelic album. And that one didn't didn't have the same mileage because So Alive was the, the golden hit there. But the song that I would like to bring up uh, by Love and Rockets for this particular episode and within this particular topic actually comes off of the album Sweet F.A., which came out in 96. This album, uh, the making of this album has its own story, but Judgment Day, like the, the guitar, the power of it, it is definitely like glam, very masculine, very sensuous. And again, it's Daniel Ash. So it's... It, it's a guitar god playing this. So this one's called Judgment Day.
So we wanted to create this episode as a know your music history and want to get back to the roots as far as where goth music came from and where it's going. And what sparked doing this episode was Rolling Stone had released an article and there's a video of Nick Cave covering Cosmic Dancer, which it's like, oh, oh, okay, that's let's give that a listen. And Cosmic Dancer by Nick Cave is going to be released on an album. There is a tribute album called Angel Headed Hipster that's going to be released September 4th. And it's two discs. So Nick Cave is on there. It also includes Gavin Friday and Mark Almond, both Sean Lennon and Julian Lennon, which is interesting. Uh, Joan Jett is on there, but it's two discs of all sorts of folks covering T-Rex. So I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on and and check out because, uh, yeah, some of it I am certainly curious, like, okay, let's see what that's what that's going to be like reading the names of who's on this uh, track listing. Yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a good tribute album. It's not like your standard, you know, Cleopatra tribute release. Sure. Oh, Cleopatra <laughs> Records. So many tribute. Yeah, I had listened. Yeah, Cleopatra Records, their their Bowie tribute is called Goth Oddity. And yeah. There's there's not it it's it's uh, it's a record. It's a record. It exists in the It's world. a record. <laughs> well, I mean, there's so many goth compilations. Like I love goth compilations because 
you might hear a bunch of bands that you're like, okay, know this, know this, know this. Oh, I don't know this. So you want to give it a try and, and smaller bands to get out there. Of course, this is stuff you want to hear because being exposed to the new is awesome. I don't need to buy a compilation that's got the same fucking Gene Loves Jezebel song on it that I've heard a million times because you know it's there. You know those compilations exist and we don't need to hear those same ones. I want to hear something new and getting exposed with some old and some new and then hearing somebody do a cover, again, it, it kind of helps bridge the gap because you're like, okay, I know this song and what did they do with it? Yep. And we covered a lot of that in our last episode with covers or one of our last episodes. That's right. All right. So in addition to keeping an eye out for Angel Headed Hipster, uh, there was a lot more music that we had been investigating, again, that are direct links, direct descendants to Mark Bolin. So alongside this episode, we have a mixtape available on Mixcloud. So if you go to our Mixcloud, it's midnight somewhere. We're going to have some extras so that you can throw on some tunes and maybe revisit some songs or maybe hear some covers you hadn't heard before and some other direct influences where you can go, oh, yeah, that is born of glam rock. And thank God for glam rock. Thank Bark Bolin for glam rock. <laughs> we, we, we actually had to have a long conversation about what songs to include and what songs to omit. And it was not easy. And I think the mixtape will bring that across. So definitely check that out. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Um, we still have stickers available at morbidoutlook.com slash sticker. Uh, we have our email box. We'd love to hear from you. Any kind of feedback at it's midnight somewhere podcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook. And of course, if you could like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help us broaden our reach, we'd greatly appreciate it. Your feedback is really helpful. If you like this kind of episode, we're thinking on other episodes like this that we'd like to do in the future because it's getting out what our music history is for those who aren't in the know. And for those of you who are in the know, it's always nice to revisit the classics. So, uh, reach out and let us know if, if this is uh, if this is a good thing, if you dug it or not. It's midnight somewhere. It's midnight. It's midnight This podcast was almost called Spotlight Where the Sun Don't Shine.